You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. HIPAA. Just saying the acronym elicits questions and confusion for physicians. Today we will try to simplify and shed light on permitted uses and disclosures. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today, Jim Bream, an attorney with the offices of Query and Harrow. Jim concentrates on the defense of hospitals, managed care organizations, and physicians in professional liability programs. He has handled cases in the trial and appellate courts and is a featured speaker and guest lecturer on various healthcare and medical legal issues. He's also a regular guest on our show. Welcome, Jim. Thank you for having me. Jim, we're talking HIPAA today. Please just, again, tell us what HIPAA stands for. Well, of course, HIPAA stands for the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. So it sounds like it was created just for patients to carry, to, to port, for example, their chart from one doctor to another. Oh, but there's that accountability section in there, too. Really, what the act was promulgated for, specifically with respect to the privacy side, we're not talking necessarily about the security side of the regulations, is to protect patient information and how that information is used and disclosed during the course of medical encounters. Let's talk about disclosure and who I can talk to when I can talk to them. Let's start with an admission to a hospital. So a patient's admitted to a hospital, and patient A comes in, is admitted, placed in a room. The hospital can, under HIPAA, maintain general information regarding the patient's presence in its directory. You can disclose the patient's name to the clergy, because clergy may want to see the patient. I can or cannot? You can. I can. Yes, in the hospital setting, so that the clergy can maintain a role or roster of patients and then they can go up and provide clergy services. What if my family member is in the emergency room, and I don't know what's wrong with them? Can I call the hospital and say, what's going on with my son? And I give his name. Can they they talk to me? They can tell you that your son has been admitted and some general information regarding your son's condition. But again, we need to be aware that HIPAA is a foundation, and if there are other privileges that might apply, then the healthcare providers cannot violate that privilege. For instance, if your son was admitted over 18 years of age and was admitted to the hospital for mental health care, Mm -hmm. they can disclose that your son is there but not tell you what floor he's on because that would identify then that, of course, he's been admitted for a behavioral health problem. Let's say that I'm a brain surgeon and I have just operated on you, Jim, and I've removed a benign meningioma from your left parietal lobe, and I come out of the operating theater, and your family is sitting there in the waiting room, quite anxious, and your wife is there, your children are there, your Aunt Sophie's there, your cousin Scott's there, and I want to tell them how it went. What, what can I say? What can I not say? Or or can I even have it written on my face? Well, what can you disclose to family and friends? You may disclose information to family members, other relatives, a close personal friend, or any person identified by the patient. For instance, if prior to that surgery, I had said, I allow you, I authorize you, I permit you to discuss my situation with not only my wife, but also with my Aunt Sophie. You may disclose uh, information that's relevant to the person's involvement with the patient's care or for payment for that care. Now, if, for instance, 
I have had that surgery on my on my brain to remove the tumor and it was su- successful, you can tell Aunt Sophie that the surgery was successful. But if you also happen to know that I'm HIV positive or I'm being treated for depression, you cannot disclose that information. It needs to be tied to the care at issue. If a patient is present and has the capacity to make health care decisions, then you can discuss health care with the family and friends if the patient agrees or doesn't object given the opportunity. In other words, let's say prior to the surgery, you come in to discuss the risks, benefits, and alternatives with me in the room, and I have several other people there. If I don't object to their presence and or you ask, is it okay to discuss this, and I say nothing in response, you can assume that those people may remain and then hear about my protected health information. In addition, HIPAA allows the physician to share information with family members if the provider reasonably infers that the patient doesn't object to it. And again, this is by patient action or patient conduct. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Today we're with Jim Bream, attorney and featured speaker on various healthcare and medical legal issues. We're talking about who you can talk to and who you can't, how it relates to the HIPAA law. Jim, as you were saying. Well, you're discharging me from the hospital. I ruptured my Achilles, and my best friend is there to take me home. You want to provide some instructions in terms of my mobility, my limitations of ADLs. May I? You may. You may instruct me. You may instruct my friend. If you know that I have a caregiver that's with me, you may instruct that individual. Of course, this is really important when you are dealing with the geriatric population. How about a patient who brings a a daughter or friend into the examination room? This happens, of course, too, with the elderly population. They want someone there to hear it. Of course, if that's what they've done, they're telling you it's okay. This is a permitted use and disclosure. Very reasonable on the part of the provider to assume that. Mother, may I? You may discuss billing and payment options with a patient's adult daughter. So you've provided the treatment, and you understand that this individual is having some difficulty with their Medicare options. Okay. I have a recent case I'd like to discuss. I had a 16-year-old male come in for a rash, and I discovered that he had venereal warts. His mother was in the waiting room. I treated him. I froze the warts, told him what they were. The mother wanted to know what I did, what I found. And in the old days, I would have brought her into the room and told her, but I told the son, I told the front desk, I can't talk to her unless the son signs a release, which he did not because he was uncomfortable. He did not want to talk to his mother about this. So I had an irate mother sitting in my in my waiting room screaming at my front staff, why won't the doctor talk to me? He's my son. And what do I say? I'm sorry, ma'am, HIPAA. HIPAA and in Illinois, the... Sexually Transmitted Disease Act, which Uh provides a confidential protection to that information. Now, generally, you're dealing with a 16-year-old male, and it's important we distinguish this as a male patient. Under the age of 18, he's a minor. As long as he's not emancipated, his mother does need to consent to his care and treatment. But HIPAA tells us, all right, we have a fundamental threshold, but under HIPAA, you have to get by that threshold but it doesn't allow you to evade the protections under other confidentiality laws. And here, the Sexually Transmitted Disease Act 
would have prevented you, and you acted appropriately. Congratulations. I'm very Thank proud you. of you Thank in you. not conveying that information to the parent. So HIPAA trumps the STD Act. The STD Act is more restrictive. HIPAA will not make any more restrictive act inapplicable or less restrictive. It's interesting that the mother has to pay the bill. She's responsible for the bill, but yet she can't know what's going on. We can find a non-legal rationale for that in terms of public policy, the idea being that you want to further that physician-patient relationship, and you need your patient to be uh, honest with you and to express candor in order for you to provide full and adequate treatment. Okay. How about the patient who comes in to pick up their father's prescription for Adderall? Can I give it to them? If this is an individual who is able to identify their father by name, and you know, you're know, going to have a first occasion, and after the first occasion, you're going to have a practice set. So after the first occasion, you know that this individual does this on a routine and does pick up that prescription. And you happen to know from treating the father that it's difficult for dad to get out to get the medication. Yeah, yes, you can. Okay. I read a case that there was a, a pedestrian in Washington, D.C., who was fatally struck by a car. And his family learned nothing of it for two weeks until they got a bill from the hospital for $17,000 because of HIPAA. They had no clue that their family member was either injured and or killed until the bill came. That's an unusual circumstance because HIPAA does permit notification of a spouse or a loved one that the patient has been involved in an accident, is in serious condition, and is in the emergency room. It's been how many years since HIPAA's been enacted? Four years? Well, since the initial inception date, yeah, we're right at about the four-year mark. And according to what I've found, there have been about 20,000 grievances lodged, and most of them were just about personal medical details wrongly revealed, and there's only been two criminal cases filed in the last four years. Are you aware of any more? No, I think that the uh, enforcement side of HIPAA has been something that's been uh, out of the forefront of government action. So we have a law here that is kind of meaningless if no one's out there enforcing it. I wouldn't say it's meaningless. There's been a lot of activity that's gone on under HIPAA, and I think that the corollary to that would be just the opposite, that there hasn't been a need for a lot of enforcement because it's been self-regulatory. So it's voluntary compliance. We certainly are seeing a great deal of voluntary compliance. Well, let's say your son is driving in the country, speeding down the highway. No one's watching. He's much more likely to speed because, you know, it's a voluntary issue. No one's there to catch him. He's going to speed. This is a different situation because you have a patient involved. We're talking about two people, talking about the practitioner and the patient or the hospital and the patient. And what HIPAA has done is, and what you're obligated to do under HIPAA, is inform the patient of his or her rights to privacy so that it's more than just self-regulatory. There is a group dynamic at play here. There are regulators that are out there that are non-governmental, that being the patient and his or her family as well. Okay, so it's just not the HIPAA police I need to fear. It's the patient can actually bring the claim. You need to be aware that that patient has rights, and you need to honor and respect those rights under HIPAA. Should I be worried about the HIPAA police coming and banging down my door? What are the what are the fines? What do I face? Do I have do I go to prison? Do I get fined? Do I lose my license? What happens? HIPAA itself may impose civil penalties, 
and those can range from $100 to $25,000, as well as criminal sanctions that range from $50,000 to $250,000 with, believe it or not, corresponding prison terms. And this would be enforced by the Department of Justice. So I, I'm familiar with two cases, but they're not doctors. There was a guy in Seattle who was sentenced to 16 months in prison in 2004 for stealing credit card information from a cancer patient. And there was a Texas woman convicted in March of last year for selling an FBI agent's medical records. Not too bright. Yeah. And these are really sort of different examples. They're, they probably or no doubt were prosecuted under a variety of different federal criminal acts other than HIPAA. I want to thank our guest, Attorney Jim Bream. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell. You have been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.